cliffcentral.com Good day and welcome to Disrupt with Mpumin Tlapo. Thank you for joining us again today. Um, in the studio with me today, I've got a very special guest, Dr. Matseke, the CEO and founder of the Clinics Group. Good morning, doctor. Morning, Mpumi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks Before for inviting me. Before we started, me. I asked you, um, how should I refer to you? And you said you're open. You said I can call you Gop or Doc. So we'll be moving between them. Yeah, Gop, Peter, Kamani. I'm, I'm not too particular about how you call me. You know, no, most doctors like to be called Doc or Doc. You're not too particular. I stopped practicing in 1992, so... Ah, so. but you still carry the title. Yes, unfortunately. Once a doctor, always oh, a doctor. Always doctor. a doctor. Yeah. Um, no, before we get into the chat, I want to just read something um, that I found in the, in the newspaper the other day. It's about a Cameroonian computer engineer, Arthur Zhang, who created the first touchscreen medical tablet called the Cardiopad, interestingly, in Africa. Um, it's the first screen developed in Africa. The device allows health workers to wirelessly transmit heart examinations performed in rural areas to specialists in urban centers. Um, and uh, with a population of about <coughs> 22 million people and only 60 cardiologists, many uh, of them are based in the urban areas. You know, this innovation was something that could help um, with the uh, treatment of, um, you know, cardio-related illnesses. These types of innovations, I mean, you coming from a township upbringing in the West Rand of Johannesburg, if I'm not mistaken, um, can you maybe tell us about your own background coming into the medical field? I mean, I, I started as a, <clears throat> I accidentally came into the healthcare space in a sense that uh, initially I, I had, uh, when I qualified, I wanted to go and do some engineering and don't try and ask me which engineering. Just engineering. At that stage, I knew that, you know, something like engineering, that's where I wanted to, what, what I wanted to do. So I applied through the German embassy then to go to Germany. And uh, I got a full scholarship to go to Germany, but my parents thought, no, I had to become a medical doctor like my uncle was. And okay. uh, that's how I became into the medical space. Ah. But then uh, following on what you've just said in terms of technology is that uh, more and more uh, people are going to use, start using technology in healthcare, especially the more rural you go, the more you move away from the center, yes, you are going to depend highly on technology. Absolutely, and even in the big cities, technology is still going to play a role as well. Um, you speak about influences from your family. I'm aware that um, uh, you are related to Dr. Mutlana, who is mm -hmm. one of, I believe, your mentors. And in the family, the brother to your grandfather was uh, Mr. Simon Peter Mazeke. Can you maybe just share a little bit about, um, you know, the family background and the influences into coming into the medical space? I mean, my, my old man, my father was uh, an educationist. Okay. Uh, and him and Dr. Tantato Mutlana come from a village called Marapiani. Okay. Where is that? Uh, uh North, Northern Pretoria. Okay. That's where they came from. Then they came into Johannesburg to come and uh, further their studies and uh, get educated. But uh, I mean, w within my family, education has been key, and uh, and uh, working with communities has also been key. I mean, my old man started a school in Soweto called uh, Orlando West, known as Mateka High. Very famous school. Yeah. So he and uh, he taught a lot and lot of uh, our. Present leaders and uh, uh, Maralu was uh, on radio this week talking about him, 
And uh, so that's how they've influenced me. Okay. To, and Dr. Ntado Motlana was uh, a, a major a community leader, businessman, and uh, but doing business with a conscience. So that's where I learned some of the okay the grounding and the. And I also believe that um, in your early days you were also very involved politically. Um, not that much. Not that much. Not that much. Uh, obviously, politics always play a role, you know. On a day to day, but I, I wouldn't call myself a, a, a politician. I was one of those students that were there to, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't call myself highly political. Okay. But I've got a political conscience, oh, for sure. Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. Okay, so Cop, as you know, on Disrupt, um, on this Disrupt show, we really talk about disruption. Um, and what we try to do is to understand people who have made an impact into the industry or their community and done things differently, right? So there's always the conventional way of doing things, and there's always a disruptive way. Now, given that our show is sponsored by T-Systems, we do tend to lean towards technology, but it's not about technology. It's really about approaching business from a very disruptive uh, perspective to achieve great results into the future. Now, if I look at the clinics group, um, you started as a small practice um, in the 90s um, with two rooms in your practices, and you've grown it now into a national private healthcare provider. Could you take us through the early stages of forming the business? What was it like in Soweto at the time, two practice rooms? Did you already have this vision for having a hospital group of your own? Yeah, I mean, this question I've been asked many times. Mm. And uh, uh, people like Dr. Motlana, Dr. Paki Mukhesi, Dr. Abnat Lakula. I mean, those were the pioneers of uh, uh, bringing private healthcare into our communities. Okay. When they started, I was still at medical school. But when I qualified, Dr. Ntato Motlana uh, invited me to join them to come and invest. Okay. So they are the ones who started what is uh, what then called the uh, Civil Medical Services and. Uh, the city private hospital. So, when I started as a practitioner and I joined their board, their board in 1987 because I was asking too many questions to at the shareholders meeting. Uh-huh. That's when I started getting the opportunity to see the bigger picture. Okay. So, what I would say I've done is that uh, I've taken their vision and tried to make it bigger. You know. So they started it, and I'm just uh, executing what. They thought about as they wanted as a vision. But you say you're asking a lot of questions. What, what was the type of things that were interesting you at the time? Uh, I mean, just just fascinating that uh, you know everybody was running a private practice. Uh, they thought about the hospital, and I was quite young then. They were a bit older than me, okay. and then they were more cautious. So I thought maybe we could go a bit radical and do some other things differently. They thought no, maybe you know you're not ex- you know. They were cautious, older, yeah. more wiser. Yes. So they said, okay, fine. Come in. You are young. Join us. And let's see what new ideas you, you can bring to the table. Okay. So I got an opportunity to be one of the managers of Lesedi in the late 80s, early 90s. And that's where I started uh, going f- into business. Okay. And in 1992, then I started my own company. I see. Mm. So how long did you actually practice for as a doctor? I practiced for 10 years. 10 years, okay. Uh, yeah, around so 10 years, from around 82 to 92. Okay. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I, 
I'm from Deep Blue myself, so I actually uh, got treated at Lesedi many, many yeah. years ago. Um, so, I mean, you've got this group of wise um, elders that are supporting you. You've got a very inquisitive mind. And now you are kind of managing and running with this hospital. What what happened from there? Well, what, what happened from there that I helped with the restructuring of Lesedi then? Okay. Then uh, I decided, look, maybe uh, by this time I'd lost interest in day-to-day practice. Okay. Well, then I started my own group in 1992. Then I started uh, my first hospital in Phosphorus. Okay. That, uh, the one that's called Butsilong in a okay. private hospital. So it was the first one that you started now independently? Independently. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, in 94, that's what I, I, we opened that one, 94, 95, we opened uh, uh, Chapo Temba in Soweto. And 97, we opened one in Sibukeng uh, called uh, Naledin Kanyeze. So, you know, young very aggressive in in approach. Yes. Uh, not uh, not afraid of taking risk. Uh-huh. So I opened three hospitals in three years. And, and, you, sta- and you started with seventy thousand rand seed capital or funding. Yeah. So I mean, that's even then that was not. I mean, that was nothing. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but, but but what what was quite interesting about the seventy thousand is that. Uh, when I wanted to go into business, my father went to Dr. Gigi Mbeche and said, Dr. Mbeche, please talk to my son. You know, he's trained to become a doctor. Let him practice and uh, continue being a doctor. Okay. And uh, he was a bit against my going into business. Business, yes. Into business. But when I went to him to say, look, I've done everything. And the, bank, the banks are saying, I have to put something on the table. And I need 70,000 and I didn't have. Yeah. He was my, my dad and my mom were the first one to support me. They said, okay, fine. We don't agree with what you are doing, but we are not going to stop you. Ah. So the 70,000, that's where it came from. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And then, so now you've got the 70,000. Um, was the vision to be aggressive, to do things differently? How, how were you going to compete with established private groups then? Look, as I said initially, that the elders, the doctor, Dr. Mutanas of this world, Dr. Mokhesis of this world, I mean, they, they completely did it differently. Yes. Those days, private healthcare in the townships was a no-no. Okay. I mean, even if you see today, most of the big groups are not represented in the townships. Yeah. You know, so it was something that's completely different, but it goes with risks. Yeah. You yeah. know? And uh, those stages as well, we never had enough specialists. We never had enough members on medical aid. So it was very high risk. Okay. Yeah. But what then prompted you to want to take that risk? I, I, I just think it is a value to try and, and bring healthcare nearer to the people. Mm. You know, there's an element of politics in there. Yeah. You know, yeah. people, we, during those days, we felt that uh, uh, uh we're never given all the facilities and as a doctor as well, as a black doctor, you couldn't go and work at, into any private hospital then. Yes. You know, just, you are still, so we are, they were trying to say, we need to create our own facilities to have our own people to practice in our own facilities. Yes. So it was that vision that, that was always driven me, even yeah. up to today. So. And then now talking about that, you started with five, Employees, I think, in the early stages, and now you're over two and a half thousand people. Yeah, directly and indirectly, over two and a half thousand. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's quite a phenomenal, you know, statement to be able to make um, from what is t- what you consider to be a very risky business. You know, 
can we maybe take us through, um, you know, how have you had to operate differently from what would be the established or the norm to make sure that you become profitable even within this very risky or volatile environment? Look, you, you, you have to depend, uh, you have to work very closely with your, uh, with your communities. Okay. And, and people sometimes when you talk about the effects of apartheid, people keep on saying, uh, you know, it's 20 years down the line, uh, one shouldn't be talking about that. But the reality is that the education system was not at the right level. Yeah. And, uh, because you, the position of your hospital is in the net township, you had to employ people in, in the local areas. Yes. So the, initially when we started, most of our employees, it was the first time that they got exposed to computers. It was the first time that they got exposed to a, a private healthcare, uh, facility. And even for myself, uh, it was my first hospital. The, the closer that I've known, the better that I've known at this stage was the setting. Yes. You know, so it was almost the blind leading the blind. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so we, we had to go through all those learning stages and believe me, we paid a huge price. Yeah. You know, to, to get where we are today, we paid a huge price. But I believe the community model is still fundamental to to how you operate even today. Yeah, I mean the community is very critical to us, and we work we have to work very closely to our communities. We are fortunate in that sense. Yes, yes. Yeah. And getting the right skills and the right people. I mean, um, it's always a challenge. Mm. It's always a challenge, and uh, and the reality is that uh, people who are skilled are also highly mobile. Yes, you know. So yes. once they become skilled, and any of the big groups. Uh, and tell them to come across they will come across mm. so so but then how do you keep them how do you make it interesting or worth their while to stay within the clinics group uh look we we try as much as we, uh, hard to, to work with them closely but there are those people who are uh, who are having the same values as us where they think look I, I want to give back i want to work within my community I could make more money mm. somewhere else. Mm. So we also rely on some of those uh, uh, doctors and nurses who would like to serve in, in, in terms of their communities. Obviously, with time, presently, uh, you know, we have upgraded our IT systems. We are upgrading our facilities. Yes. We are trying to be as competitive as any other hospital in Sentinel, in in uh, Pretoria or Tswane. Yes, you know, so yes. we we have to go there. Yes, yes. You know, but it it, it took it takes time, and then uh, okay. And let, let's talk a little bit about that in terms of upgrading the facilities. I mean, you want as much as you operate predominantly in the township or surrounding areas, um, you want to operate world class facilities. Okay, yeah. why is that a big driver for you? Uh, like, I, I, as opposed to referring to other hospitals or relying on maybe the government facilities to give that. You, you know, for me, is is is. I think as a community, we we need to start doing things our, for ourselves. Yes. I, I mean, if you remember uh, when that uh, Mandela was sick, uh, he was in the Mediclinic Hospital. Yeah. When Mama Winnie Mandela was sick, was in the Net Care Hospital. Yeah. I, I think the future, we we need to say, any of our leaders, if they are sick, they need to be where they come from. Yes. You know, it shouldn't be an issue that I stay in Soweto and I'm sick. I must travel. I must travel out kilometers. of Soweto. Yes. Yeah. You yes. know, so it's going to take a long time, but I, I think we've started 25 years ago. Maybe in another, in another 10 years or so, we should be there. 
Okay. But but I think it's important. It's important, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And then uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the strategy of the clinics group going forward. So I understand you make a lot of investment into world-class facilities. Mm-hmm. Is it still the intention to be in and around the communities and more rural communities, or are you looking to expand uh, maybe into more urban locations? What's what's the plan around that? Look, I mean, that, has been, that is my core. Uh, in, that's the core market that I understand. Okay. You know? I've had opportunities to move out of uh, that core market. Yes. But uh, those opportunities don't come without risk. Okay. You know, because uh, they operate a bit different. I mean, it's like if you take any of the people that work in the more the sentient type world, if you take them to work in the townships like where we work, they might find it a bit difficult. And mm. I think the same applies with us. Okay. You know? I'm I'm quite keen to explore. I'm still young, so I'm quite keen to explore. Uh-huh. But uh, if if you had to give me two opportunities, one in the in the townships and one in the in the, one on the suburbs, yes, I'd possibly be inclined to go to the one in there because that's the market I understand. And you believe there's still opportunities uh, within pl- that market? Yeah, there's plenty of opportunities. Even as people become more urbanized, you know, middle class moving into the suburbs, still an area that you believe there's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a market to explore. Yeah, not everyone is going to go to Sandton, and not everyone is going to be comfortable sleeping in a Sandton hospital. Yes, you know. I, I think once you are sick, and you you need to be closer to the environment that you are used to, the family, the family visitors, and uh, I think that there's yeah. okay. Now we've seen the large retailers um, coming into the townships, um, taking over some of the smaller stores that we had back in the days. Um, do you see? The established, or not that, you know, clinics group not established, but, you know, the competitors, as, you, as you've mentioned them, do you see them coming into your market anytime soon? I, I think they had an opportunity earlier. Okay. And they, they would like to come in now. But fortunately, at least in terms of healthcare, healthcare is, is highly regulated. So you are not going to have someone because he's got money, then he can just put in another hospital next to, another, okay. you know, so, so regulation to some extent helps us. Okay. But believe me, they would like to, they are tapping into that market. Okay. They are putting ambulances, they are tapping into that market. I see. Okay. So they will find other means Which, to provide services yeah, into that market. market. Yeah. Now, as something that we can learn from, how do you position yourself then to remain competitive in an environment that you've established yourself into? Look, I, I mean, it's, it's what I told you about putting more investment, use more about issues around technology. Okay. You know, get connected with your local GPs, put up major net and uh, networks around your hospital, your GPs, your clinics. So those are the issues that uh, training your staff is going to be very critical. Okay. You know. So it's normal business practice. Yeah. It's it does normal, not yeah, differ. Yeah, it's just a different service that yeah, you're offering. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Now, Doc, let's talk about this disruptive conversation. I mean, is this is this something that you stay close to in terms of looking at how different industries become disrupted? Um, you know, the medical space, we've seen e-health and mobile health and topics like that coming up. Um, how do you respond to a disruptive world coming into your field? Uh, I, I, I mean, it's going to be a major, major challenge for, for all of us. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you, you can see now. Uh, pharmacists are trying to go in there. Yes. You know, and uh, what you've just read uh, in, about the doctor in Cameroon who start, had the uh, new technology. Yes. You know, so those things are going to come and they are going to force us into practicing healthcare 
slightly different. Okay. You know, so, so we have to gear ourselves for that. And as part of one of our, uh, as a group, we have decided to make innovation one of our core uh, goals in a sense that uh, we are encouraging our staff to come up with some innovative ideas because okay. because that's the only way that we can survive. In another 10 years, uh, private healthcare is not going to be the same. It's not going to be, you're going to see your doctor, you're going to go and see your x-rays, dependent, you know. What, what, do you, what do you believe it's going to look like? I believe most of the diagnosis will possibly happen at home. Okay. Or outside of the hospital. Okay. So by the time you come, you'll come up and say, yeah, my results. I mean, if you look into pathology, for instance. Yes. Previously, uh, pathologists, when you used to go there and uh, go for your bloods, they will take the whole day doing one test after the other. Now they can take a few drops. They can give you hundred results from immediate. just one drop. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I- immediate. Yeah. So things have changed. And you believe that even within the communities you serve, the change will be that rapid. Yeah. And you, you've got your mob- mobile phones. You've got all sorts of things. So yeah. it's, it's, it's going to. One needs to look at healthcare. I, I mean, uh, my deputy CEO, uh, Doctor Kula. Uh, was showing me an article about a doctor in India uh-huh. where, who, who does uh, cardiac operations in a conveyor belt, almost like assembly, uh, uh, assembling cars. Sorry, one more time? He does heart operations yeah. Yeah, on a conveyor belt. Yeah, I mean, they use three or four theaters. Okay. Okay, and there are three or four doctors. Each one has got their own highly skilled specialty. So one of them opens the chest, the other one throws, ah, you know, yeah. so, so they'll do three or four patients at the same time. And, and they are and doing each one it. doing a very specific piece of that yeah, procedure. Of that procedure. And they are able to reduce the cost of an operation that will possibly say cost $30,000. They'll do it for $2,000. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because they're highly skilled. So they're able to put through, uh, bring in uh, many patients. Unlike if one doctor has to be a specialist in all the areas. Uh, and that becomes very disruptive. Yeah. Because it, it changes the business model oh, yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. 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 It, it is. It's like assembling cars. <laughs> or assembling hearts. Oh, yeah. yeah. Basically assembling hearts or fixing hearts. But I tend to feel like, you know, when we hear these stories a lot of the time, it's Cameroon, it's India, it's other parts of the world. You know, what's happening here that maybe you're aware of, if there is anything, what are we doing, especially in your space that's very innovative, that's changing the goalposts currently? I think if you look at need to Cameroon and India, is that once there's a need, then people are forced to think differently. Okay. You know, so I, I think, and once you're in a comfort zone, you know, you do it reluctantly in a way. Okay. Okay. You know, but fortunately for South Africa and especially in the healthcare environment, I, I think, I mean, our, our, the first heart uh, operation happened in South Africa. So yes. we still have doctors that are getting exposed internationally. And, uh, but I think maybe because the need is not as high as in India where they've got high numbers of patients and those type of things. And, uh, the other issue for me that is a problem for South Africa is that there's high litigation and regulation. And into I think the healthcare space. Into the healthcare space. So okay. that's going to limit our progression. Okay. But isn't, isn't that there to protect the patients? Why, why is that a challenge? Sorry. 
Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, like now in terms of uh, obstetrics, okay. most of the obstetricians don't want to practice obstetrics now anymore because they have to pay something like forty-five to sixty thousand per month. Per month. Yeah, for insurance. So because of all the various types of litigation that could come yeah, their way. Yeah, and that has got a knock-on effect in terms of uh, the training of doctors. So people are no more interested in ops and gyne and those type of things. But is it not as simple to say if they just do things correctly, then they won't be subject to litigation? Or is it more complex than that? Uh, I, I just think there needs to be a balance. There, okay. there has to be a balance. You okay. know? If there's no limit to these things, then you, you, you really kill the industry. Okay. You okay. know. In fact, it's interesting because I heard this weekend somebody mentioning a very similar thing to say, you know, the, 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 the litigious environment is creating apprehension. Yeah. Um, in certain fields around the medical space. Yeah. yeah. So possibly if it goes on like this in the future, you might have to fly to India for an operation. Seriously? Yeah. I mean, if, if people are, there's litigation all over. Yeah. And I guess the fewer doctors there are, the more they're going to charge because of demand. But yeah. And it makes it become unaffordable yeah. Yeah. at some stage. Yeah. Okay. As I read here, you know, uh, South Africa spent 171 billion, so about 12% of our fiscal, um, on health, and it's set to rise by about 8% until 2020. And uh, we often hear in the news about the state of our hospitals in the public space um, and the challenges that we experience in the healthcare environment. Um, what are your views on healthcare provision in South Africa? I mean, without necessarily making a judgment call, but I mean, where do you see us currently, given that we're spending what seems to be a large sum of money, and the impression is that we're not getting the results that we could be getting, maybe if things were different? Yeah, unfortunately, with healthcare in South Africa for a very long time, uh, uh, years back, it was based on an apartheid system where okay. it was providing for less people, the majority were not uh, provided for. Okay. Then subsequent, 94, it provided for everyone, but the infrastructure was not adequate. Okay. And the number of specialists, doctors, nurses was not adequate. And then uh, on top of that, we had a big divide between private and public sector. Yes. Y- you know, so we've got all those divisions and I just think neither the I don't think public or private on its own will be able to provide for our healthcare. So my model is that the way I look at it is what I think was what the minister is trying to do is to try to come up with a national health insurance to try and have both public and private sector to provide healthcare to all citizens of South Africa. But even then, even in that type of environment, healthcare is very expensive. It is highly expensive. I mean, I see here it says... Um, even in this environment, 50% of the spend is inaccessible to most of the population. So half of the spend is actually still in the private healthcare spend. Yeah. You know, to- total healthcare spend in the country is still in health, in private yeah. healthcare environment, which is obviously a smaller, much smaller segment of the population. Yeah, but, but I, w- I wouldn't like to, you know, sometimes people will say 50% is in a private and but I've just told you, there's mm. issues around litigation. Mm. There's issues around building of hospitals. There's issues around equipment. Mm. So it's, it's still expensive. Okay. You know, so we are not uh, getting any preferred prices, uh, like possibly government and all that stuff. But I don't, I don't want to go into that uh, d- uh, debate. Yes. Well, all that I'm saying is that uh, public and private, I, I, I think government needs to trust the private sector more. 
and private sector needs to be more open to working with government. With the government. Because the numbers are there. I mean, I've told you about this one of the cardiac uh, procedures that are in, in India. In yes. India. Yes. Just imagine a day where everyone could access any of the hospitals. Most of our hospitals will be full. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know. So, so the demand for the services is there. The demand is there. Yeah. We just need to find the right uh, model. Yeah. 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 And um, we're seeing also a number of young people. I mean, you got into the industry very young outside of just practicing um, as a doctor, you know, into the business side of healthcare. And uh, we're seeing a number of young people coming into the space. And a lot of them would still start with their doctor's rooms and then moving into smaller you know, health, you know, multi-service health mm-hmm. environments. Are you seeing a lot of young people coming to you and wanting to learn from how you've set up your own hospital group? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do get uh, a calls to say help us or this is what, you know, because I, I think it's important that they shouldn't go through the same mistakes that I did. I mean, I'll tell you, when I started my first hospital, I put up a big hospital and I only had five consulting suites for it, for specialists. It, uh, for the whole hospital. For the whole hospital. So it just, you know. Yeah, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense, you know. But is there still opportunity for young people coming in and saying, we want to set up private healthcare facilities and groups? Is the, is the market still there or do you think it's a different model that needs to come in? I think the, the market is still there, but they need to do it differently. Okay. Uh, I mean, like now, if, if I have to go into and put up a newer hospital in the group, one needs to think, uh, Quite differently. Um, I mean, in, with my uh, executive committee, mm-hmm. we're always looking to say, what is that that you can do that's different from uh, what we have been doing? Yes. You yes. know, you can't just keep on building acute hospitals and without any. They'll take the without any from that one and just yeah, copy and paste. It's not going to work anymore. Yeah. Okay. I, I think we need to do things differently. Yeah. And are we still seeing a lot of young people studying medicine, wanting to be medical? Oh, yeah. It's still, yeah, it's still um, uh, a practice and an area that's growing, enough specialists coming through. I know at some point... I wouldn't say enough, but yeah. uh, they are still studying, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Doc, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, Lisedi was renamed Dr. SK Matseke Hospital in Deep Blue, and you invested a lot into revamping it again and bringing it up to, to being the type of facility that you would have envisaged. Um, how important is that? I mean, it's not part of the clinics group, but it was the first place you worked essentially in the early days. How important is, is that facility to your business, to you personally? Look, I mean, that hospital was started by our, the elders that I told you earlier, Dr. Mutana, Dr. Mukhesi, Dr. Tlagula. I was one of the youngest investors in there. Okay. So it's very important in the sense that it was the first black private hospital in the country. Yes. Okay, and uh, I, I'd like to make sure that it takes, it keeps up to that position. So, I mean, presently what we are doing, we have rolled out the, a, a proper IT system across the, the hospital. We are building new wards. We put in state-of-the-art theaters. So I, I'd like it to have that, uh, to keep its position. Yes. Because it's, it's an important uh, uh, institution in terms of private healthcare in South Africa. Okay. To, together with CISWE. Yes. Both those institutions are important in terms of. Uh, and is it performing well still, still yeah. serving the community? It's, it's still serving the community. But obviously it was built uh, long ago. It's a, it needs a big revamp. That yes. is why yes. we're doing that. Um, and, um, just another thing that you mentioned earlier was, um, around the 67 minutes for Nelson Mandela. Yeah. 
uh, and you said uh, you're planning to do 67 procedures in the month of July. Can you talk a little bit about that initiative? What your yeah. plans are? I, I, I mean, this is not, my, you know, uh, we, we've got uh, my ex school now is, uh, it's got a lot of younger people than me. Okay. And uh, <laughs> they'll come up with all these bright ideas. I mean, Dr. Kula came up and, and uh, the executive uh, to come up to say maybe we need to do 67 minutes quite differently from what we used to do previously. Yes. And the, the, across our group, they are going to, for the month of July, we're going to perform 67 procedures. And then uh, each hospital will decide which of the procedures that they will, uh, they will do. Okay. And they will interact with the communities. And obviously we are going to target as well patients that have got need. Those that can afford, maybe they can go to other, you know. But uh, we'd like to do it differently this year. Yes. And we think... Uh, Is this something you've done before? No, no. It's, it's, it's something that's quite new. Okay. And we just think that uh, we've always done something in terms of the 67 minutes. Yes. But the procedures is, is new okay. for, for our group. And uh, we just think uh, that the Mandela did a lot for our country. Yes. And uh, we need to celebrate this. And how will people qualify? Is that spelled out yet or not? So if somebody says, okay, I'm in need of a procedure, or is it going to be advertised, how will that work? Uh, each hospital will work with their community. Obviously, we get our staff from the community. We've got our doctors working with the community people. So it will be quite different from one hospital to the other, but we'll interact. We'll go out and find patients with need. Okay. You know. okay. And, um, you know, Mandela as an influence to you as a business person, is that someone that you continue to seek inspiration in? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I was fortunate enough to be as, as well close to Dr. Sisulu and Mrs. Sisulu as well and Dr. Tato Matlana. Okay. And I mean, those people, they are, they were top politicians in their own right. They were leaders of communities. But they had a very big social conscience. Yes. And I think that is what is driving me and that when that they picture, GM picture. Yes. You know. So so my approach to business is, is a bit different in that sense. Okay. In a sense that uh, obviously every business has to make a profit, but profit is not my main drive. My main drive is to make that change. In the community. Into your community. Yeah. And I know you I mean you've learned from the elders from before, but I know you also continue to learn today. You were speaking earlier, you're off to Germany next week. I know you've done other trips internationally. Can you tell me about this continuous need um, to want to learn? You've got various postgraduate qualifications that you've done, this wanting to learn continuously. I, I think education and exposure is very, very key. You know, I mean, through T-Systems, I was uh, fortunate to go to... Uh, to Spain, you know, yes. to, to go and see how other health systems work, to Germany as well. So I, I think one is to go out there, get exposure, see how other countries uh, are addressing the issues around healthcare. And then, uh, and obviously you cannot copy and paste, yeah. but, uh, you learn a few things and you say, out of these things, I think I, I can take this element and apply it to my environment. Yes. So, so that type of exposure always helps. And it's something that you instill in the business. So continuous learning. Yeah, you you, you, you have stuff. to do that. And and even for your staff, you know, even for your staff, you need to uh, get uh, exp- expose them to different uh, 
uh, facilities and the way other people do things. Otherwise, you get stagnant and you... Yeah, and, and from what you've seen now overseas and comparing it to where we are locally, are we on the right track? Are we ahead in some areas? What yeah, look, there's nothing wrong in terms of our healthcare in South Africa. Okay. I, I mean... I mean, most of the big groups are also represented in, internationally. Yes, yeah. yes. But as you are talking about disruption, I think that's w- some of the areas where we need to be seriously looking into. Okay. I think in terms of the stream, uh, mainstream, we are okay. But is some of these innovative things like the doctor from India yes. uh, that we, we need to be start uh, getting more involved. Okay. And is, is legislation something that will inhibit some of this or, or not? No, really? no, no. I, I, I don't think it's legislation. I, I, I just think uh, the bigger groups in South Africa, uh, they are focusing more outwards into the into Europe and uh, and some of those areas. So I, I, I think if they start f- focusing backwards and looking into Africa and looking into into South Africa, the townships, mm. some of those things will automatically come. Okay, so I guess it's about being more introspective yeah, in terms of the challenges. Yeah, yeah. Once we look, if any of the big groups will look into, or ourselves look into Africa, those opportunities will come. Technology will have to play a big role. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, but, yes. but if you go to UK, you know, your challenges are a bit different. You won't be able to understand how to solve those challenges. No, no. Once in the UK, it's almost a similar type market like us here. Yes. You know. Okay. okay. You know. Now talk to me. I know you've got um, the KOP Logistics and the Seasway. I mean, and the. Oh, I mean, those are some of. I've got a lot of other companies. Okay. But yeah, but I do all sorts of you know. And are they all within the medical field or, or unrelated? Most of my interests are in the medical okay. field, but maybe I need to diversify into uh, the future. Uh, or maybe not. I mean, you've done a wonderful job in this space so far. Yeah, but, but one needs to diversify. Yeah. And know. the reason I ask is, is you know, this question of focus um, comes up quite often. Um, and, you know, for people within business, you know, is it a case of, did you get to this point because you've had a lot of focus into a particular area? Or is it a case of diversifying and see where the success comes? No, I'm where I am today because I was focused. Okay. You know. Yeah. All that, whatever I did was always in healthcare. Wherever I went was mainly in healthcare. I had other opportunities. Okay. You know, but, uh, I, I chose to, to, to stay in healthcare. And obviously, as I told you, I made a lot of mistakes. So I had, I didn't even have the time to, to look to at other things. Other things. <laughs> I was, I've, I've always been fixing things. Okay. Even up to today. <laughs> You make mistakes, you learn from them. Yeah, you try, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, one of the things we talk about in a disruptive world is that businesses need to fail fast. You know, that concept of saying, try something. If it's not going to work, then find out it's not going to work quickly and then move on to the next thing. It sounds like to a certain extent it's been part of your kind of makeup in terms of if you make a mistake, make the mistake quickly, but then move on. Yeah, but I'm not sure what you mean by move on. Okay. You know. Maybe because I, I mean, it's 25 years. Yeah. You know, so, so I tried to fix and I, I possibly stayed on more than moving on quickly. Okay. Because sometimes if you move on, then you forget about what you're doing. Okay. So I tried to keep on fixing and improving and fixing and improving. That is why possibly if I, I put in the same energy into another industry, I'll be way ahead. Because you just, 
you got that tenacity. In yeah, effect. yeah. Okay, and and what does that mean for the future of the clinics group? Where, what's the vision for the future? Where's the business going? The vision for the future, I I think I've had my twenty five years. Okay, you know I, I'll still play a very important role within the group, but I but I think one needs uh, newer ideas, younger people, to take it to another level. You know, I'm not saying I'm old, but I think for the industry, I've been f- too long in in it. So you need people who come up with complete fresh, eye, fresh eyes and fresh ideas. Okay, so it's about grooming the next group of people to, to take over. Oh, yeah, and to take it to another level. But largely, it will still be community facilities um, around township or those types of environments where you've had a strong track record. Or would it change? But but, but you know, I'm an entrepreneur. Possibly. That would be my preference, but uh, but that might not be good for the company, you okay. know. So I I think we, the younger people, whoever is taking it over into the next level, are the ones who will decide in which direction to take it to. Okay, you know. Okay, so um, Gop, I'm going to ask you three questions um, before um, we wrap up the interview and and um, and close out. The first one is really your vision. For South Africa And you can frame it as you like So it's a broad question um, Where do you see our country Into the future Given that we're going to have All these disruptive forces Coming from different parts of the world What's your vision for the country? I, I think uh, as a South African uh, South Africa is a, it's a very great country And uh, I, I think we've been a leader In most of the areas in terms of uh, how we, we got our freedom, uh, the 94, uh, what Tate Mandela did, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I think in terms of tenacity, in terms of uh, South Africa as a community, uh, our future is bright. I think our future is bright. We'll have our own difficulties from one year to the other, but uh, we will be... Uh, the, uh, the community, the people, South Africans, are very tolerant of each other. We have our own differences, but I think we are still uh, South Africans, yes. and uh, and we make an impact across the world. And uh, so, I think the future of South Africa for me is bright. Okay, I'll never choose any other country for. Yeah, same here. Same yeah. here. And then disruption. I mean, we we've been talking about it, but from different angles. Yourself. In business, how you try to do things differently, being inquisitive, asking a lot of questions. How do you define disruption for yourself? What do you see as being disruption? For myself, in in terms of uh, the country or in terms of uh, healthcare? Within the healthcare space. I mean, disruption is some of the issues that I told you about, like uh, the the doctor from India. Mm. And I, I think possibly some of those things, I, I think we are capable of doing in South Africa. Uh, uh, we've got the skills. We just need to improve on the legislation. I think some of these things we, we could uh, be, uh, we could do them. Issues around technology, technology as well is going to be. I mean, now in South Africa, you've got uh, robotic arms where. Uh, some of the high, high, some of the operations that are done with robotic arms and all those type of things. So, so technology in terms of healthcare is going to come from the te- technological aspect, the okay. disruption. 
And then lastly, I mean, I look at your journey and your achievements, and I see Richard Branson, and we've talked about as well Dr. Antato Mutlano. Both of them are disruptive in terms of their own rights. Both of them, I guess, pioneers in terms of the work that they do. Um, which one would you say epitomizes you as a businessman, and, and why would you say that? I'll be more closer to uh, to what Dr. Mutlano did. I mean, he was a medical doctor. He was a businessman. Both applied to me, and uh, and we are operated in, in similar type environments. And I'm mean, me, Richard Branson. Obviously, you need huge capital sometimes to be in in that maverick, those type of thing, disruption. Mm. Uh, Dr. Matana never had that opportunity, so he had to be steady. So I also had to be steady because I don't have an uncle who can bail me out when I make mistakes. Yes, you yes. know. So in that sense. Um, I would be more closer to what Dr. Antato Matana did, and uh, and he's also my me- he was also my mentor. So fantastic, Gob, yeah. uh, Dr. Matik, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Really, we've learned a lot. Um, we wish you all the best with the Clinics Health Group. Um, I think bringing in new blood, you still need the wise heads. Um, you know, you yeah. talk about being older, but sitting here now, you look very young to me and energetic. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about relative to, relative to, to yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so thank you very much for listening in once again, um, on Disrupt with Mpumi Ntlapo. Thank you very much to T Systems for making this platform possible for us. Platform possible for us. Um, up next is the good stuff. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll join you next week on Disrupt with Mpumi Ntlapo. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Cliffcentral.com.